0: Pastor, turn in your Bibles, please, to Psalm, Psalm, Psalm chapter 38, Psalm chapter 38. And as you're turning there, I'll just say, it's good to be back with you, but isn't this strange? You know, when did you come here as pastor? 1995. 1995. So I started preaching here in 1995 at your invitation, and I've never been here uh, like it is now, the way things are now. And uh, everywhere I've been, this is the uh, eighth state I've preached in since the stay-at-home orders were put out by the governors. Preachers kept asking me to go, and I said, well, what is it in your state? Uh, well, we, we found this little niche, and there's this loophole, and we're having church. And one of them told me, well, our governor said if his church was having church, he'd be there. And so uh, he said, just have church, but don't put my name out and tell anybody I said that. And so um, we've been able to keep preaching, and everywhere it's been different than I've been preaching for 48 years. We've never been under this type of situation in our lifetime in the United States of America. And I'm so thankful though for what we can do. I miss your choir, you have one of the best church choirs that I get to see every time when I'm out preaching. I miss your special music. Uh, And uh, we did have uh, three songs this morning uh, same song just like we had three sermons I preached the same sermon because you had different shift I called them coming in for each service and uh, but I miss that I miss the excitement of the children being here and your bus ministry up and running and so forth but thank God for what we can do amen, amen. hallelujah and this afternoon thank you for letting me stay with Anthony he got some food for us at the olive garden you see, should have seen that guy putting down the breadsticks. Man, he, his wife's looking at him because they're on a special diet. <laughs> uh, I, I want you to know he did not eat any breadsticks. In fact, there's a bag with two breadsticks. They were his that went with his salad, and he left them for you. So <laughs> I just wanted to see the expression on his face. <clears throat> Uh, After the service, you can go to our table, the Atlantic Coast Baptist College table that's in the lobby. And I have three of these books. That's all I have left. Uh, James Beller, the late James Beller, wrote these. And it's called the Collegiate Baptist History Workbook. And you know the Lutherans are thankful and in a right way proud of their denomination. And the Methodists are or have been through the years. Uh, We Baptists, we just pretty much take our denomination for granted. But God used born again Bible. Nobody goes to church by being a Lutheran or a Methodist. They have to know Christ their Savior. And God has used saved Baptists in many times to help shape our nation. Uh, Do you know the one state that guaranteed that our Constitution would be ratified and all the other states said, if that state passes it, we'll do it too. All the other southern states said that. Anybody know? Brother Hamner, where are you from? Virginia, The state of Virginia. All the southern states said, if if Virginia doesn't pass it, we're not going to go with it. And we wouldn't have had a United States of America. We would have had a Civil War before the Civil War. It just wouldn't have formed. And Baptist took, John, John Leland, the Baptist, took the writers of our Constitution around from town to town to town. And they said, what do you want? And they said, we want in the Constitution because so many Baptists are in jail in the state of Virginia for not baptizing their children into the Church of England. They said, we want a guarantee of freedom of religion and freedom of worship and freedom of assembly and they were promised, if you'll vote for representatives who will pass this at our state house, which I think at that time was over in Williamsburg, they said, then they'll go and the First Amendment to the Constitution will be what we know as the First Amendment uh, to the Bill of Rights, and its freedom guarantees that government shall not establish a religion. Our United States government won three religions. Uh, The Anglican Church, And we'd just come out of English rule. And the Presbyterian church and the Methodist church. The rest of us would have been in jail. And uh, so they said the government shall not establish any religion. And included in that was the right to free assembly, which we're doing tonight. And included in that was that the government would not hinder the free exercise of any type of worship. And so it was Baptists that got that through in Virginia. And the Virginians got it through up in Philadelphia. And uh, we had the United States of America. You say, where'd you learn something like that? Written history. It's in courthouse records. And James Beller spent time in the courthouse records of New England and the original southern Atlantic Coast states and the south. And this is good. I've only got three copies left. Then I have a book. All Christians should get it. Parents should get it. Uh, Anybody ever have their kids say, why can't we do this? Everybody's doing that. Why can't we do that? Here's a book called Should I? Bible Answers to Questions of Personal Separation. A friend of mine who's not with our college, he's the vice president of Commonwealth Baptist College, Jim Jorgensen, wrote this book. You may not agree with everything he says, but he's got scripture to go with most of it. And if you don't agree with him, just say, well, thank God, most of this will help me with my kids or my grandkids or my Sunday school class. Pastor, your people won't think you're the only nut in town if they read this book. They'll know there's more nuts out there like you and me and Jim Jorgensen. And then I have college material, uh, the material for Atlantic Coast Baptist College and Independent Baptist Online College. Now, We have enough for every one of you to pick up the free thing at the table, our newsletter. Read it and praise God with us if you would. Uh, I have a a guest here tonight, and that's Brother Hamner. I invited him, and I just met him for the first time. You say, well, how could he be your guest? Well, we're Facebook friends. How many of you have Facebook friends who you've never met before? And how many of you have a Facebook friend you think, I'd like to meet this person? Ah, I think I like this guy. I think I like this lady. Well, Uh, Brother Hamner has an interesting story, but I don't have his permission to tell it, so I won't. Uh, Go ahead. All right. How many of you, young people, 40 years old or younger, grew up in a part of your childhood or teen years watching the Waltons? How many of you did? How many of you watched the Waltons? All right. Many of you. How many of you, your kids are watching the Waltons now (laughs) on, on DVDs? Well, my grandkids are. Well, the Waltons weren't really the Waltons. I hate to burst your bubble. They weren't the Waltons. They were the Hamners. And uh, this is Paul Hamner. And his family really grew up not on Walton's Mountain, but Schuyler Mountain uh, in Schuyler, Virginia. And the whole story was built. His brother Earl was John Boy and wrote their family stories. And I think he might have added to them a little bit now and then. (laughs) But most of it's true. I've heard your family members say on some of the Walton reunions and so forth and he lives right here in Tom's River New Jersey and he became one of our Facebook friends how many of you know Wendy Jo Householder who graduated from our college helped us get the RU started here Uh, she was a Facebook friend of his and every time I go on chapel live at our college she is North Carolina or wherever she lives or is, and she's inviting people, inviting people, inviting people, inviting people to watch our chapel. And he started watching our chapel. So one morning, I woke up early for me, uh, quarter to five, and I thought, oh, he was watching our chapel. And again, and I thought, I'm going to ask if he'll be my Facebook friend. And about, I waited till 5. I had respect, but I know guys our age sometimes wake up early, Brother Paul. And I asked him, would you be my Facebook friend? And within five minutes, he answered yes. So he must have been awake at that time, too. Or he did something in his sleep. But anyway, (laughs) it's taken almost two years for us to get to meet. Thank you for coming to the service tonight, Paul. I really appreciate it. Psalm chapter 38. Oh, you know what? One time you said something that tickled me. One day in chapel, I was really preaching, and I was preaching hard. It was in the Bible, but it was hard. And it was sort of like when, as a parent, you don't want to really scold your kids and so forth, but sometimes you have to. And I was preaching to our college students. I didn't want to, but I had to, and it was there. And (laughs) you put the comment, that's like the preaching we grew up with. And I thought, well, hallelujah, amen. So I could see myself preaching in that chapel, that church there. Uh, on Skylar Mountain. I want to share with you tonight something that we all need because the devil has deceived us into thinking that that's not so bad. What? Whatever it is. That's not really that bad. I mean, after all, so-and-so's doing it and -and so-and-so's doing it. And in this day and age, you can find a preacher who's biblical who who uh, tickles our ears and is all things to all men. And what we're doing is just not that bad. It's okay. But folks, it's called sin. Well, what's sin? We don't even know what sin is anymore. Sin's relative. No, sin's not relative. The Bible gives us two indications of how to determine if something's sin. It says, the, uh, the, the Bible says, the, uh, uh, the law... The law brings about the knowledge of sin. So if God says thou shalt not, and we do it, that's sin. But that's not all. The New Testament also says this. You know there's not only the thou shalt nots in the law, there are the thou shalts. And in the New Testament it says this, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And so sin is doing the thou shalt nots, disobeying the law. But it's also not doing the thou shalts. Now, when we sin, it affects us. But the devil and his crowd would have us to believe that it's not that big a deal. It's okay. Because we can find somebody who's doing that and we can point our finger to them. And the Bible warns us about pointing our finger to other people and it says that we err when we compare ourselves with other people. And uh, the comparison needs to be between us and God. And he says, be ye holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Where does he say that? 17 times in one book of the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus. And he says it in 1 Peter chapter 1, be ye holy in all manner of conversation, every area of our life, for I am holy. Now, when we sin, we might initially... Enjoy it. In fact, sin is fun. Brother Miller, (laughs) uh, uh, you're a preacher. You shouldn't say sin's fun. Well, I have to tell the truth. And the Bible says sin is pleasurable. Now, Brother Weigel knows enough of the Bible to know where I'm going with this, so he's not going to stop payment on the love offering check that he gave me already. (laughs) I hope. But notice, the Bible calls it the pleasure of sin for a what? season now there's something about whatever season we're in this is summertime it's going to change there are four seasons that we go through every year spring I like spring spring is my second favorite season of the four seasons spring things turn green we plant things I turn over the dirt in my garden I plant things. I have an early garden and cold weather things come up, onions and spinach and, and stuff like that. And then I plant the serious stuff, the beans and so forth and uh, get it going for the summertime. And uh, I like spring. The flowers, I mean, you don't even have a, a, a cultured flower garden. The crocuses just pop out of the ground. They might, you might have a bunch of daffodils pop up uh, on the side of a hill that you're gonna mow over as soon as they're done blooming. And I like spring, I like the colors of spring. I like summertime, but man, the older I get, I remember when I was a boy, forgive me, but gr- as a boy growing up on a farm, we used to have sweating contests. We used to see which of us boys could sweat the most. And we, we enjoyed sweating. And we tried to take it to school. And I'll never forget, we'd do things at recess, and we'd come in, and one day the teacher got a bunch of us together and said, you boys stink. (laughs) That was before, you know, you had to be politically correct. If your students stunk, you just told them they stunk. I remember when I moved to a new school, they had three levels. They had the advanced students. And then they had the normal students, and then they had the, the slow students. And they put me in the normal class, but I thought, man, I feel sorry for these kids in the slow class because they would just tell them sometimes, you're on the slow track. <laughs> That's what they would tell them. I thought, at least I'm normal, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and the teacher said, you stink. And said, I want to know why you boys come in here soaking wet from recess all the time. And we said, we're having sweating contests, Mrs. Hooker. And she said, well, well there will be no more sweating contest. Whatever you're doing, just stop doing it. There, I, you always stink. My classroom smells terrible every afternoon when we leave. And so we had to stop our sweating contest. And, you know, uh, I used to like summer. I used to like that. I used to like building a hay from the floor up under, pastor, up under the metal roof with about 15 wagon loads of hay in one day or straw in one day. And we'd stay up there. Sometimes they'd put our lunch on the, on the hay elevator and run it up to us. We didn't even come down. And we'd make sure there was lots of cold milk and cold water in jugs they'd send up to us. It was a funny thing. They'd send them up to us in plastic jugs that they would get chemicals in and mix up the chemicals to put on the fields. And then we'd rinse them out once and we'd drink water out of those plastic jugs. You say, man, you're going to die early. Well, I'm 69. God said we get three score and 10, 70 probably. At the end of next year, I'll die from some poisoning, drinking cold water out of plastic chemical jugs. But uh, it was a different time, and it was a good time. uh, But, you know, I don't like heat like I did. I, I told my wife, I'm going out to mow the yard. She said, you are not. If you go out, I'm going out. I said, you're not going out. So I went out and I got the hand mower and I was just doing some trim and I looked and there she goes riding the riding mower. It was 97 degrees and 106 uh, heat index. And I went over and I said, what are you doing? She shut it off. She said, I'm riding my red convertible around. (laughs) I never gave her a red convertible. So when we got a riding mower, she said, that's mine and that's my red convertible. And uh, she was out and she did the mowing, I did the mowing, and we both spent about three hours trying to recover afterwards. It was stupid to be out in 107 heat index at our age. Uh, and, but I like fall. One thing I know about a hot summer, fall's coming. And you get refreshing breezes, and you still have colors, it's different types of colors. And I like going up and preaching in Connecticut and Maine in the fall. People pay money to get on buses and go up leafing, they call it. In upstate New York, you girls upstate New York, people pay money to go where you live. Uh, And look at the leaves changing colors. And in Delaware, our leaves only have two colors, green or brown. There's no reds and purples in between. And uh, uh, I like the different seasons. I like winter for about one snow or two. And then I'm done. I had my winter snow fix. My daughter loves snow. She, she put uh, on her Facebook yesterday a Christmas tree that was getting snowed on outside of a house and said only X number of days until winter. And I thought, well, more power to you, honey, because, I, you know, I just don't look forward to December 21st, first day of winter. I like that spring and fall season. But whether it's a good season or a bad season, this too shall come to pass The seasons keep changing. You know we have seasons in our life. There's a spring season of childhood and adolescence and teen years and 20 somethings and then you move into another season and another season and then you get into the season where uh, just a minute ago I jumped up out of my chair too quick and I about fell in pastor's arms. He, he reached out and held me. I said, I'm losing my balance. He said, that's okay. And uh, I knocked us both over. No, he was able to keep his feet. But you say, what are you talking about all this for? Because. Sin is only pleasurable for a season. God used that word season for a reason, and it's because seasons change. So if you're in the pleasure season of a sin, this will help you know what's ahead. If you've gone beyond the pleasure season of a sin that you've not confessed and you've not forsaken, you're going to find yourself in one of these places. You see, number one, sin affects us spiritually. Look here at Psalm 38, verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There's no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Do you see the uh, terrible relationship he's having with God because God's holy and he sinned. God's wrathful. God's chastening him. God's in hot displeasure. God has anger, verse 3, because of his sin. When you and I sin, it affects us spiritually. Take something as simple as praying. The Bible says, the Lord will not hear me. The Lord will not. It doesn't say he cannot. The Lord will not hear me because of my sin. Listen to this, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. God said, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. God hasn't had a stroke to where he can't do what he once did with his strong arm. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. <clears throat> God's not getting hard of hearing in his old age. <laughs> but what's the problem then? Why can't I get my prayers answered? Maybe you've got sin in your life. Because he goes on to say, But your iniquities have separated between me and And you, he said, that I will not hear. Or Isaiah said of him that he will not hear. Notice it didn't say he couldn't hear, it said he will not hear. We go to God and say, oh God, please, I need you now, I need you now. Remember me, God, remember, I know I haven't read my Bible much and prayed much and gone to church much. But I really, I really need you now, God. And God said, I don't want to talk to you until you take care of that sin that you let come between me and you. Weeks ago, months ago, years ago, and so sin affects us in our relationship with God spiritually. Look at verse twenty-one and twenty-two. Forsake me not, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. And so sin affects us spiritually. So you might think, boy, this sin thing—I'm just gonna—I'm I'm just gonna forget about that and go on. He hasn't forgotten about it. It needs to be taken care of. It's come between you and Him. And sin will affect you, number two, emotionally. He knew he didn't have a right relationship with God. And in verse 4, he said, Mine iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. My wounds stink and they're corrupt because of my foolishness. I'm troubled. I'm bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. His sin was affecting him emotionally. Now, there can be a lot of reasons for emotional problems, say depression. Uh, You might have a chemical imbalance in your body. That has nothing to do with sin. But there are a lot of people who suffer depression because they don't have the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. If you don't have joy, you might have depression. Peace you don't have peace you might have depression and it goes on and lists a manifestation of the fruit of the spirit if you don't know what the fruit of the spirit is you can read it in galatians or you can go over uh to brother anthony's house and as you go up there nine steps they have a different fruit of the spirit listed on every step as you go up i got under conviction going up and then i got i got hope going up the steps this afternoon but uh uh Those things, we're talking about emotions, aren't we? Joy, peace, love, oftentimes. And you may have an emotional imbalance. I didn't say chemical imbalance, an emotional imbalance. You may have an emotional shortage because sin is affecting your life. I have a cute little little dog. Her name's Mandy, and she is so lovable. If I'm gone too many days out preaching, when I come back, she gets excited, her tail wags, (laughs) her whole backside wags, and then she breaks out crying. (laughs) She's so happy I'm home. (laughs) And it just tears me up. And when I get ready to leave, she sees me packing my bags. And she knows when I'm packing my bags and my wife's getting my shirts out and my trousers out and stuff, and, and I'm starting to pack my suitcase She knows I'm getting ready to leave, and she starts to get depressed because there's going to be a separation between us. I'm talking about my dog, not my wife. Sometimes my wife says, go, just go. No. (laughs) Hey, you know what? Years ago, my wife said this. She goes, we weren't having an argument either. I thought we were having a good talk. She said, you know, uh, it's not. uh, it takes a special person to be married to you. And I thought, where's this going? And I said, yeah. She said, it's hard. It's not easy being married to you. And if anything ever happens to me, she said, you probably, I wouldn't care if you got remarried, but you probably ought to just not get married because most women couldn't take what I take. (laughs) Now, I thought I was doing a good job. But, you know, what she meant was she was talking about the time I'm gone, I'm out preaching, I'm traveling. She traveled with me as long as she could. She used to get up on Sunday mornings at 3.30, we'd pick up a college singing group, we'd drive for three, four hours, get out, sing in Sunday school, teach Sunday school, preach, get back in the band, drive another four hours somewhere, and we'd get back about midnight and she'd have the kids up for school at six o'clock next morning. But after a while, she just couldn't do that anymore. And then her health broke and she had some strokes and so forth, Uh, but uh, this year I thought of what she said on our 48th anniversary, you young, you young guys, you're really making it hard on us older guys. You, you post all this uh, mushy stuff about your wives. And, uh, uh, you know, what's wrong with Hallmark? Go get a card, sign it, give it to them, give them a kiss. You know, what, why do you have to write a poem or something? You're really making it hard on us. But I thought of this, and I posted a picture of her, on her in her wedding dress. And a picture of she and I uh, a few years after that. And then a picture of uh, she and I just uh, a couple months ago. And I told what she said at the top of my post. That she said it was hard being married to me. But I explained it. And I said, you said it takes a special person to be married to you. And I said, and you're that person. Yeah, that's right, ladies. This is when you go, ah, okay. (laughs) I said, you're that person. I love you. Now, folks, um, if things aren't right between a husband and wife, uh, it affects them emotionally. And when things aren't right between you and God and the Holy Spirit's grieved and the Holy Spirit's quenched, he quits producing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, so forth, so on, gentleness, kindness, temperance. He quits producing that. And you're on your own emotionally. And that's when many people resort to the bottles and the pills and the ungodly counselors and so forth. But not only does sin affect us spiritually and emotionally, but it affects us physically. Look here at verse 7. My loins are filled with a loathsome disease. There's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth. My strength, see physical, faileth me. For uh, as, the light, as for the light of mine eyes, it is also gone from me. The twinkle in the eyes gone. There's just a glazed overlook. I saw a lady who I had not seen for years. I had not seen her for five years, and it looked like I hadn't seen her for 20 years. And I I said to someone who was very close to her, I said, I saw so-and-so. She didn't look too good. And said, she has been through several decades of trials. And it's really aged her the last five years. Now, decades, ten years. In other words, she had 20 years of trials all bunched up into five years. You know, a lot of our trials are not of our own doing, but a lot of our trials are of our own wrong decisions that we've made about sin. Now, when I went home and told my mom what that teacher said that we smelled bad, she said, all right, I'm going to talk to your father. And then my dad came. He said, here, I need to explain some things to you. And he had a washcloth and he had soap and he had uh, some, some can of aerosol spray. He said, now as you grow, uh, you, you can have body odor, son. And I want you to wash under your arms every morning with soap and a washcloth and then spray this. And it was right guard aerosol spray. We didn't know it, it was going to ruin the uh, whatever it's called out there. We didn't know that. And uh, he said, I want you to use this right guard spray. I don't want my son. I don't want it said of my son that he stinks. Now, folks, (laughs) um, here you have an individual who was full of loathing of his own physical condition. Life had been hard because of his own decisions that he made. David had made some terrible decisions. He... Didn't go forth to battle when in the Bible says it was a time when kings went forth to battle. But David stayed still. Back behind. He lust after his neighbor's wife. He committed adultery with his neighbor's wife. He had his neighbor killed so he'd be free to marry her. And it looked like the child that she was not expecting was his child. And God was chastening him. And He had to choose between this or this when the man of God came to him and thousands of Jews lost their lives while God put a plague on the land because of their king's sin. His baby died uh, in childbirth and David said physically, Verse 8, I'm feeble and sore broken. Why? By reason of the disquietness of my heart. I know in my heart I brought all this on myself. Now if you have unconfessed, unforsaken sin in your life, it's going to affect you spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Physically. You're not an exception to the rule. There are no exceptions to the rule. And not only that, it will affect you socially. How's that? Well, look at verse 11. My lovers and my friends, they stand aloof from my sword. And my kinsmen stand afar off. Remember, some of his counselors even turned against him. And people who used to sit in his court and eat from his table when he was being run out of uh, his palace by his own uh, rebellious son Absalom on the other side. Of the brook Kedron there was one of his former attendants picking up dirt clods and throwing it at him that's a mature thing to do isn't it it's about as mature as what some of our governmental leaders do to each other on CNN MSNBC Fox News and so forth the things they say about each other but they had they liked him back there in the palace when he was still in power but now that he's not in power They didn't like him. They hated him. They despised him. And think in the Bible of the prodigal son. He leaves his daddy rich. He got his inheritance early. Forgive me. He got his inheritance early. And he leaves rich. And he went to a far country. And a bunch of sin buddies attached themselves to him. But once when his money was all spent, the Bible says, in riotous living, There wasn't one of those buddies there to help him out and bail him out. In fact, he had to go to a pig farmer. A Gentile pig farmer. He was a Jew. The Jews despise the Gentiles. He's going to work for a Gentile on a hog farm. For the Jews, the hogs were condemned. And he's not even going to get, when the dinner bells rung every night, come in and eat with the family. He's going to, if there's any husk, Not the cob, not the corn, but the husk of the corn. If there's any husk left over, that's what he's going to eat in the pig pen. His buddies weren't there. They all forsook him when he couldn't bankroll their sin anymore. Sin will affect you socially. Even Christians who should be trying to restore you and lift you out will many times leave you and condemn you. But the Bible says, Christians, listen, if you see a brother overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. How can you restore somebody if you're gossiping about them? How can you restore somebody if you're accusing them? How can you restore somebody if you're slandering them? You're to be their friend and restore such a one. But sin will affect us socially. Now, I I have only preached this message three times. God just gave this message to me three weeks ago in Spring Hope, North Carolina on a Sunday night. And in the middle of the message, I thought, am I preaching the right thing? This is a good outline, but am I preaching the right thing? I didn't know there was a lady in that service who had a hidden relationship with a distant cousin. I didn't know that. And I didn't know that God had been beating the tar out of her, trying to get her to repent before she lost her husband and lost her kids. And I was told by the, a lady who was working with this lady who knew it, said she was sitting, everything you said, it'll affect you spiritually, and she leaned forward. And then you said, it'll affect you emotionally, and she leaned forward. And she was looking up all the verses and writing them down and getting all your points. And when you got to, it'll affect you socially. She just started, her shoulders started to sink. But when you got to the next point, what is sin's antidote? And I said, there's hope for you. She went, Whew. When I got to that point, I'd hate to be a preacher if all we did was go around identifying condemn sin. That'd be terrible. But folks, if you were watching the question and answer time tonight, there's hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. His death, burial, resurrection, His blood, all the things that give us hope hope and Bible hope is not like I have my fingers crossed Bible hope is assurance and I want you to notice sin's antidote look at verse 21 finally he cries out forsake me not O Lord O my God be not far from me make haste hurry up to help me O Lord my salvation what should we do when we foolishly chosen to sin and hold on to our sin, and maybe we've tried to cover it up. I'll just do better the next time. Maybe we've tried to excuse it. I'm not as bad as brother so-and-so or sister Uh, uh, so-and-so. I'm going to start double tithing. Well, that might please church treasure, but that's not going to impress God if there's sin in our life. Because Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. But whoso confesses and forsaketh his sin shall have mercy. That's the 1 John 1-9 of the Old Testament. What's 1 John 1-9? Well, I quoted it three times this morning, once in each message. If we confess our sins, this is the antidote to sin. It starts with confession. Now, there's, there's two types of confession. There's oops, I did it. Sorry. <laughs> and I'm probably going to do it again. Uh, no. That's a modern-day confession. What does the prefix C-O-N, what does that mean? To the word fess, to fess up, admit it. What does that mean? What? With. We agree with God about sin. Sin is disobedience. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is an iniquity. Sin might be a transgression or a trespass. What else does he say about sin? He says, if we cover it, we'll not prosper. We aren't going to get ahead with him. But whoso confesses and forsaketh it shall have mercy. When we go to God in our confession, we ought to at least have the attitude, oh God, please forgive me and help me not to do this again. I remember, I remember years ago, I was ruined by seeing what God used to do. In a revival meeting, here's Clarky. And he's praying, "Oh God, help me, help me." And I go over. I say, "Clarky, what are you praying about? I need to get right with God. You want to get right with God? I want to get right with God." And his wife Sharon's over here. "Oh God, help me, help me, Sharon. What are you praying about? I need to get right with God. You need to get right with God. I want to get right with God." Stay right there, Clarky. Do you really want to get right with God? I really want to get right with God. Does that include Mary and Sharon, the mother of your children? He looked at me like I hit him with a two before in the forehead. He said, "You know we're not married." I said, "That doesn't matter. God knows." They had lied. Those four kids thought mommy and daddy were married. They lied to everybody about it. Yeah, I'll marry her. I said, "All right, keep praying." I went over. I said, "Sharon, you really want to get right with God? I really want to get right with God. Does that include Mary and Clarkie? You know? I said, "It doesn't matter. I know God knows." Perfect. Yeah, I'll marry him. I want to be married to him. <laughs> that was Monday night of the revival, when people just didn't go forward, say a prayer, God forgive me, run out and light up again, or break open another sick pack. They really meant business. And uh, so Friday night of the revival in Oklahoma, you could do it real quick. We got the wedding certificate and all that. Front license, Friday night of the revival, they got married. They had about 30 guests there. About half those guests at the invitation came forward and asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be their personal savior. I mean, I've just been spoiled by seeing stuff like that in the past. A few of you older timers, you remember that. When when people went to the altar to pray or they got on their knees and asked God to forgive them, they were serious. And the Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to do two things. To forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, I've I've seen people... um, who who somebody sinned against him and the person who sinned against him went to him and said, will you forgive me? And he'll say, I don't know if I could ever forgive that. God's just to forgive us. He said he would, so he will. And the word forgive, I love this, means to release. Have you ever heard somebody say, I can forgive him, but I'll never forget it. Have you ever heard somebody say that? That's not forgiveness. The word forgive means to release. That means you're not going to remember it. God said, their sins and their iniquities, will I remember no more? He didn't say can't remember. He said, I will not remember. Will I remember no more? If the devil brings it up, our accuser before the brethren, to him, God says, I don't remember that. I've chosen not to remember that anymore. Where'd you find that anyway, devil? I cast it as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says. Where'd you find that? Because I cast it from one end of the galaxy, the world, all that we know in space, to the other end. Where'd you find that? It's not there anymore. Why not? Well, because I forgave him, and if I remembered it, I'd still be holding it against him. But he not only forgave us, but it's not there anymore. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's not there. I mean, the devil can take God back. Look, see right there. Well, it's not in their record anymore. God says, no, I scrubbed their record. What'd you scrub it with? The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us of all sin. Hallelujah. It's not there anymore. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What a God. And so he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Ask forgiveness. When when David got right with God, God didn't say, okay now, I've cleansed you and I've forgiven you, but go sit over there out of the way. I've got lots of important stuff to do. No, David still wrote much of the book of Psalms after that. God still used him. And after that, Series of heinous sins, God said, he's a man after my own heart. How's that? God condones that? No. David confessed it and forsook it. And in Psalm 51, verse 12, he owned up to it. He said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. He said, God, that whole series of sins were my decisions to disobey you. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. And after that, God used him to write, as I said, much of the book of Psalms. And God used him to, and called him a man after his own heart. Folks, if you have sin in your life, what kind of sin? I'm not going to preach on all the sins. There's, there's uh, hundreds of commandments in the Bible. Over 800 commands in the Bible. If God spoke to you about it, through the written word, you read it. Through the preached word, you heard it. it. Through the still small voice, internally, if God spoke to you about it, then you need to confess it and forsake it. And whoso confesses and forsaketh it shall have mercy, the Bible says. Otherwise, there's going to be a division between you and God. It's affected you spiritually and it will. That's going to ruin you emotionally. And it could end up being your ruin physically. And you better check around and see who your friends still are when you hit bottom. Most of them left a few floors before you hit the basement floor. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you, that you don't write us off when we sin. But there's an antidote for sin. Just like, God, if a a person gets bitten by a poisonous snake, they have an antivenom that they give them. And I thank you, God, that there's an antidote for sin. And it's your forgiveness and your cleansing and your justness and your faithfulness. You said you'd forgive us, and you're faithful to do it. You don't go back on your word. Thank you, Lord. God. Even your people sin. You said if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if there's any child of God here tonight with unconfessed, unforsaken sin in their life, they don't have to tell Brother Weigel. He doesn't have a confessional booth in this building. God, they need to come to you and confess and forsake their sin. And I thank you that you've promised them mercy. You won't give them what they deserve. God, if there's anybody here tonight who's not sure if they perish tonight that they would physically, that they would go to heaven. They're not sure that. I thank you for the passage which says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. I thank you for that passage. It doesn't say these things have I written unto you who were baptized, Or these things have I written unto you who are members of a church or catechized or confirmed or have taken Holy Communion. It says these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that you have eternal life. And I pray that if there's anybody here tonight who does not know that, that they would believe on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for their sins. So they can walk out of these doors knowing that they have your gift of eternal life. But Christians who, who are saved and they said, God, help me to live for you, and they didn't. They made a wrong choice. It might have been in action or attitude. I pray that they get right with you. You said, cleanse your hands, you sinners, that's actions. Purify your hearts, you double minded. Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. So whether it's action or attitude, Help us to be careful, to be quick. And like the book of Revelation says, be zealous to repent. Get serious and do it quick. And I thank you that you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There may be some sin that we wouldn't forgive someone else for, but you forgive us of all unrighteousness. Thank you for your love. With heads bowed and eyes closed before I say amen, how many of you can say, Brother Miller, There was a time when as a sinner I understood Jesus died in my place for my sins. And I believe he died for me and I believed he was raised from the dead to save me. And there was a time when I called upon Christ to be my Savior, to save my soul. And I asked for forgiveness and eternal life. And if I died right now, I have Bible assurance that I go to heaven. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he did on the cross for me. There was a time when I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. If that's your testimony, would you just raise your hand? I've asked Christ Jesus to be my Savior, and I'm so glad I have. All right? Most of you raise your hand, but not all of you. I appreciate everybody's honesty. Now, those of you who raised your hand, is there anybody here would say, and I'm not going to ask you what because it's none of my business, but is there anybody here who would say, Brother Miller, There's some things in my life or anything in my life that's not pleasing to God. And I, I don't want to cover it. I want to confess it and forsake it to him. Would you pray for me? Now, I'm not going to pray God will forgive you. He already promised to do that. But I'll pray that you don't let the devil talk you out of it to wait till tomorrow morning or next Sunday to do it. I'll pray that after you ask for cleansing and God cleanses you and forgives you, I'll pray that he gives you the strength and courage to live for him and the faith to live for him. Say, Brother Miller, there's some things in my life, and I'm going to lay them before God tonight. I'm going to call them what they are, their sins, and I'm going to ask for forgiveness tonight. Pray for me, Brother Miller. Would you raise your hand, and I'll know who I'm praying for. I won't come and ask you, what are we praying about? It's none of my business. How many of you would say that? Raise your hand. All right, several of you, several of you. Now, before I pray for you, how many of you would say, Brother Miller, I'm not being judgmental, but I have some loved ones who have chosen a life of sin, and I'm burdened for them, and I'm going to pray for them. Would you pray with me? I will. Do any of you have a situation like that? Raise your hand. Many. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Isn't, isn't it? Heartbreaking to see a loved one barreling down the highway to destruction in sin. We can, we can see God grind them to a screeching halt if we'll pray for them. Now, before I pray for that group, how many of you would say, I'm not sure I'm saved. I didn't raise my hand. What should I do? Well, raising your hand and acknowledging that's a step, but it wouldn't get you to heaven. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him. He said, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him. He knocks at the door of your heart. Won't you open up your heart's door and receive Christ as your Savior? Plain and simple. If I knocked at your door, you'd say, come on in. Won't you invite Jesus Christ into your heart to be your personal Savior? He won't force his way in. You're not a robot. He gave you a free will. Well, what would I do, Brother Miller? Right where you sit, you don't have to to join the church. You don't have to get baptized. Right where you sit, you can whisper a silent, sincere prayer to God because the Bible says He knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. And you can pray this prayer if you mean it. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin. Please come into my heart and be my Savior. What's that prayer? Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin. Please come into my heart and be my Savior. Now, if you just prayed that prayer in all sincerity, and you're not ashamed of the fact that you just opened your heart's door to Jesus Christ, would you raise your hand? I just prayed and received Christ Jesus as my Savior. All right. God, have your way in this invitation. As people come to pray for themselves and their relationship with you or people they love in their relationship with you, let this be a sweet time of prayer and surrender. You said to cast our burdens on the Lord and you'd sustain us, and that includes our burden of sin, our burden of sin. And so as we begin to uh, have our invitation, help people who raise their hands to come and kneel and pray before they go home and forget all about what you were speaking to them about in this service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.